Well, hey, Mosaic. Good morning. Good morning. If we haven't met before, my name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're going to kick off a new series today. So the new series we're kicking off is called Seven Hebrew Words Everyone Should Know. Seven Hebrew Words That Everyone Should Know. Before we fully dive into the series, though, I have a quick question slash confession that I need to hear from you guys. Has anyone ever felt like you were bored with the Bible? All right. It took you a moment, right? Like all you hesitated, like, do I tell the truth? <laughs> and then once one person did, all you guys raised your hands. Uh, because sometimes we, uh, we just can't be bothered with it. Sometimes it's just, it's just really hard to get into it. Uh, because I don't think we fully understand the context of the Bible. Or what we do is we play Bible roulette. So we do this sometimes where it's like you take your Bible and you go, and then you're like, oh, I'll read this today. Right? And then you just find some random place. I remember when I was in college, I was, helping my, I was helping my dad build a deck in our backyard. And I decided it was a good idea to take my shirt off the entire day. Uh, I'm very pasty and I got very red. Uh, and so the thing is, is when I get sunburn, uh, does anyone ever get sunburn and instead of it burning, but it burns, but it also itches? Yes, it is the worst feeling on the planet. So all you guys who didn't raise your hand, it's torture. And so I remember laying in bed that night and my back was just itching. And the thing about sunburn itch that you don't understand is you can't itch it because if you itch it, it itches even worse. And so my back, it feels like there's kind of like spiders crawling on my back that itches. And then eventually I'd give in and I'd scratch it on my bed and then it would go... Just get on fire. Awful. So then I'm like, what am I going to do? Because I'm in my bed and it's three o'clock in the morning. I can't get any sleep. I, I'm on the verge of crying. I'm like a 21-year-old man and I'm like crying in my bed in my parents' house. Right? And so I don't know what to do. So I pick up my Bible and I go, and no joke, this is the scripture that popped up. It was in James, uh, if we could get that first slide. It says, is anyone among you sick? Yes, I was sick. Let them call the elders of the church. It was three o'clock in the morning. They wouldn't appreciate that. To pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Right? This is the verse that I pop up to. So I'm like, I need to put like oil on my back or something, right? That's what God's telling me to do. So I go to my parents' kitchen and I'm looking for olive oil. And they didn't have any olive oil. So no joke, I grabbed a jug of vegetable oil. (laughs) And so I'm like, okay, how do I get this on my back? Because like, what do I do? I want to go to sleep. So I don't want to like pour the jug over my head and then be this oily mess the rest of the night. Uh, So I had decided it was this genius idea to take a rag to dump vegetable oil on it. And then I took the rag and I just like slapped it on my back. It was not a wise decision. The Lord was not telling me to slap an oil-filled rag on my back, uh, burning like I've never felt in my entire life. And the rest of the night, it burnt just as bad, and it itched just as bad. And then I had to sleep with an oily bed because the oil got all over my bed, right? We don't read the Bible the right way. A lot of times we, we don't understand the Bible, we're bored with it, uh, and we just don't know what to do with it all the time. And so I think it's really, really important for us to realize that, uh, especially the Old Testament, it was written to, it wasn't written specifically to us. It was written to this group of people called the Israelites who spoke a different language than us. They spoke Hebrew, right? And so we've taken that Hebrew Bible and we've translated it into English. Can anyone guess how many different English translations of the Bible we have? 
approximately? Throw out a number. 17? Higher. 30? 100? Higher. 200? Higher. 500? Higher. About 900. 900 different translations into English, right? Think about that for a second and think, maybe some things are lost in translation. Think about even English, the English language itself. You go over to Britain, and what happens if someone offers you chips? What are you getting? Yeah, you're getting French fries. If someone offers you a biscuit, what are you getting? A cookie. How about, let's go trickier, how about boot? Trunk of a car. There you go. All right, all right. Uh, I'll give you a hard one. A lorry. A truck. Yeah, like a semi. Right? So you have all these words that mean different things in different cultures. And so we, and I believe that it's valuable for us to look at some Hebrew words. It's unrealistic for all of us in this room to learn all of Hebrew, but I believe that there are some words that really stand out to me that really begin to ignite my faith and really paint a picture of who God is and what God cares about. And so we're going to jump into one of those words and what one of those words is today. So our first Hebrew word that we're going to learn is the word for law. Law, right? I just saw all of your eyes glaze over there for a second. You're like, really? Really? And the reason why was I was really intrigued when I read Psalm chapter 1. Uh, and Krissa read it for us today, but it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And even that word blessed, uh, it's actually probably better translated if you look at the Hebrew, happy. So happy is the one who delights in the law. It's like, has this person actually read the law of the Lord? Has this person opened up the book of Leviticus? Uh, Because it doesn't make sense that it says delight. And then it even goes on to say, uh, someone else writes in Psalm 119 about God's law. It says, how sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey. Sweeter than honey. So this law makes you happy. It's a delight. And it's sweeter than honey. And we begin to ask ourselves the question, that doesn't fully align with my experience with the law. And so let's look into what the Hebrew word for law is, and that law is Torah. So we're going to learn about this Hebrew word Torah today, which means and can be translated as law. So we asked the question, how many of you uh, talk about a time that you broke the law, and literally Aaron couldn't get off the stage because you were so excited to tell someone the story about the time you broke the law, right? You're like, okay, here we go. me and Nicole, we went to this really conservative college, uh, and they had the weirdest rules, uh, it, like the strangest things. Like you couldn't go into the room of someone from the opposite sex. You had curfew. So I'm a 21-year-old man with an 11 o'clock curfew. I'm like, really? Uh, we had to go to chapel twice a week, and if you miss chapel, uh, you get fined. Like they're like, oh, you missed church. You got to pay money. Uh, And then on top of that, the weirdest rule that they had at this college was you weren't allowed to wear shorts before 5 p.m. Because Jesus does not want to see calves in the daylight, right? Right? Just strange rules. And so it's fun breaking rules a lot of times. And then has anyone ever looked into like weird laws that different states have? Uh, So in the state of uh, 
South Carolina, it is unlawful for anyone under the age of 18 to play a pinball machine. Okay. Uh, In Alaska, it's illegal to give a moose a beer. Sorry, moose. Uh, In Connecticut, in order for a pickle to be considered a pickle, it must bounce. Okay. Uh, In California, if you host a frog jumping competition and one of your frogs dies, you're not allowed to eat it. Like, like when did that happen, right? Where someone's hosting a frog competition, they got to make that law. So there's these strange laws in our society. There's these strange things that are happening all around us. So this word law, it, it, it puts a reaction inside of us. Uh, there's something that kind of happens uh, in, in our soul that we don't fully understand. And, and part of it is the word law, uh, the word Torah can be translated into law, but it's actually probably better translated as instruction. As instruction. So how do we, how do we read this? How do we kind of dive into it? And so I want to I kind of pull out one of the more random uh, laws in, in, in the Bible. And one of these things that God decreed was in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, don't muzzle an ox while it's treading grain. Right? And I could see all you guys looked at the screen and then you looked at me real quick like, what does that mean? Right? Because God has one chance to speak to all of humanity, to really say, this is what I want you to know. I want you to know all these things because in the Torah, there's 613 laws, 613 laws. So one out of the 613 is don't muzzle an ox while it's treading grain. Uh, See, we don't fully understand how to read the scriptures. And so we're really going to focus on this one uh, quite a bit today. But before we really totally dive into the significance and the meaning of this verse, I also want to talk a little bit about Torah. And, and so, so Torah, it, it means law, it means instruction, but it's also, it's, it's more than that too. So Torah is actually, it's reference to the first five books of the Bible. So we have Genesis, right? Then we have Exodus. And then this is where we're like, what's after Exodus? I forget, right? So we have Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. Right? So Torah, can also, it, Torah also describes this whole thing. And so what we need to sort of understand is that Torah is law and it's these laws, but Torah is also God's story. It's God's involvement with his people. And so for the past three weeks, we've been diving in to the book of Genesis uh, with Eric Smith, and what we have to realize is that also is Torah. That's part of our instruction. And so what we need to kind of do to really fully understand uh, when it's law is we see laws very differently than they saw it when these books were written. Because these books were written about 3,000 years ago, right? And so what we have to realize is that they saw law very, very differently. And so what I want to do is I want to get a little bit logistical for you guys before we kind of put the pieces together and pull it together. So to put yourself sort of in that mindset of someone who lived 3,000 years ago in the, in, the, in the Middle East, right? To put you in that place because uh, I think it's important for us to get to that place, especially as we look towards, East, towards Christmas, as we look towards the Messiah coming You know, we wanted to kind of create this series so that we're longing for the Messiah to come. 
that we can put ourselves in the place of someone uh, who is just longing for a Savior. And so what we have to do is if you, if you imagine yourself living 3,000 years ago, law is very different. So we see law uh, as a, um, uh, like, statutory. So let me put it right here. So statutory law, right? And so in statutory law, the text is the law, right? So if you have a text, right, you're not allowed to play pinball. That's the law. It's in writing forever and ever until that law goes away and is abolished. That's the law. But the world that they lived in, it, it wasn't quite that way. The world that they lived in and the way that they kind of operated law was called common law. And so with common law, what we have to realize is that it, it's more of a, it's more of like, the, what, like what's the spirit of the community? So it's the spirit of the community. And in common law, the judge has, uh, the, the judge basically rules on what is the spirit of the community. And so then what you end up having written down are kind of like case studies. So what they did is they found this, uh, uh, this Hammurabi code. And this was a code that was written almost 4,000 years ago, uh, around 1700 B.C., and so in this Hammurabi code, they have all these different random codes. It's like, uh, one of them is, if anyone is committing robbery, they're put to death. There's another one, if a son hits his father, his hand should be cut off, right? And so you have all these kind of law codes. They have about 250 law codes on this statue that they found. Now, they, let, they literally have ancient court documents. And in all those court documents, you know how many times they reference the law code? which is kind of what our society is, which is, okay, you broke law code number 25, therefore your sentence is blah, blah, blah. So in their law system, they reference their law codes zero times. Not a single time. Because really it's the spirit of the community. It's the culture of the community. And we hear that, and I think at first we think, man, that's kind of a dangerous way of operating law. And it is. But we also, we operate this way every single day. It's actually kind of the way that we construct our households. So uh, anyone with kids? Right, a few of us. So one of the main laws that most families have is uh, kids, hold your parents' hand when you're walking across the street, right? Of course. So if that's your law, uh, is that always going to be the case? right? What if the street is closed down? Does the kid still have to hold his parents' hand? What if, uh, like, when does that law end? Because it'd be really weird for, like, a 30-year-old man to hold his mom's hand when he's crossing the street, right? It'd be really strange, just like it's strange to have a 21-year-old kid with an 11 o'clock curfew, right? Like, there's all these weird things, but we operate this way every day. We operate under common law, and what we have to realize about the way that Torah is written is it's really, it's, it's operating under this common law type of a system. And so then it, it kind of, uh, it opens things up for us. So then if we jump back to this verse, don't muzzle an ox while it's treading grain. Uh, we see Paul, who is a rabbi, who meditates on Torah, who meditates on the law, and he actually begins to show us the meaning to this scripture. So what I want to do is I, I want to point those out to you. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 
It says, uh, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us and do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers in Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? And then he goes on to say, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the Torah say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. For scriptures say, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. See, the reason why Paul is pulling out this scripture is because he's telling these churches, you're taking advantage of the people who are leading you. You're taking advantage of them, and you need to stop taking advantage of them. Because when, when you look at Old Testament law, when you have this common law, you're trying to find what is the principle here? Like, what is the principle that we're trying to get at? I always run out of whiteboard room, and then I end up, like, at the bottom, and no one in the back can see it, so I'm sorry. So what's the principle that we're trying to pull out? So, like, let's go back to the, uh, to the kid holding his hand, his, his parents' hand situation. Like, the principle for that is, that, like, an application of the law is you need to hold your parents' hand. But what is it really, what's the heart of it? What is it trying to get at? Like, so let me ask you the question, and I want to hear your response. Why would a kid have to hold his parents' hand when they cross the street? Why? Safety. Safety. Exactly. So you don't get hit by a car. Because the parents care about the safety of their kid. So the principle of that is that you care about the safety of your child. And so then we do the same thing with Torah. Is that it says don't muzzle an ox, but Paul, he's pulling out one of the principles of it. And what he's pulling out is he's saying stop taking advantage of people that it's easy to take advantage of. And so one of the dangers with looking at the Bible this way, specifically Torah, is you can begin to ask yourself the question, well, can I interpret it however I want to interpret it? And the answer to that is no, because you got to understand Paul is a guy who is steeped in the Old Testament. He knows it very well, and he has meditated on it day and night. And frankly, we don't. But if we look at Deuteronomy, and we look at a couple of the verses that come right before this, we begin to see a pattern. We begin to see where God is going. So let me, let me show you. These are, these are three laws that God gives to Israel right before he says, don't muzzle an ox. He says, do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy. Whether that worker, worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns, pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and they are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry out to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice, or take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. 
That is why I command you to do this. And then he goes on to say, when you're harvesting in a field, right, uh, and you overlook some of the sheep, don't go back for it. Leave it for the foreigner, the refugee, the fatherless, the orphan, the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Right? And then he goes on to say, when you beat the olive trees, leave some behind. And then he says, uh, when you harvest grapes, leave some behind. Don't go over it. Leave some for the foreigner, for the widow, and the orphan. And then he says, uh, don't muzzle an ox while it's treading grain. Do you begin to see the pattern here? So the pattern here is that you're, you're looking at, he's pointing out three people groups. Who are, the, who are the three groups that he pointed out? Just holler them out. Uh, so it is the poor, but he, he talks about three poor people specifically. Foreigners, who else? Widows. Widows and orphans. Fatherless. Right? So you got your foreigners, your widows, and your orphans. Now, in this culture 3,000 years ago, who are the most vulnerable people in that society? Who are most at risk of not surviving unless someone sees them? It's these three people. Right? And then God goes on to say, don't muzzle an ox while it's treading grain. Right? So treading grain is when an ox basically stomps on the grain and it releases all the kernels. Uh, and so what he's saying is, don't muzzle the ox. Let the ox snack while it's working. So you have to assume this ox is cared for. This ox has shelter. This ox has food. And what he's telling the farmer is he's saying, you know what? Go above and beyond. Just like Paul said, they, they're worthy of a double portion. Don't muzzle the ox. Let him eat while he works. Be overly generous. Because God is really trying to instill in his people right? That not only are you supposed to be a redeemer of the foreigner, the widow, the orphan, not only are you supposed to be a redeemer for those who feel like they're enslaved, because you at one time were enslaved. Not only do we do that, but we're supposed to be overly generous, that you're supposed to leave olives behind. You're supposed to leave grain behind. You're supposed to leave grapes behind. And even you're supposed to be overly generous to your animals, And so it's not just about don't take advantage of these people. It's about be overly generous to them. You see, a lot of times when we read the Bible, you know, we we get through Genesis and we stop halfway through Exodus when they get to Mount Sinai. Because this is the part that's kind of hard to read, if we're honest. This is the part that doesn't always make sense to us in our culture because it's hard It's hard to understand. It's hard to pull out. And so this is where I I love, I love what Jesus says is Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish Torah. I came to fulfill it. And then he's asked the question, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And what does God say? What does Jesus say? Jesus says, basically, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he goes on to say, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 
And see, I think it's, I think it's really easy for us, like when we think about the Bible, it's, easier, it's easy to think, oh, the, the Old Testament is all about law and the New Testament is all about grace. But we have to realize, that, and we think kind of like Jesus sort of like pulled this out of his hat. Like Jesus is inventing something new here because Jesus is all about grace and the Old Testament is all about law and the Old Testament Torah or law has nothing to do with grace. But what we have to realize is Jesus is actually quoting Torah here. He's quoting the law. And we find it, uh, firstly, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then Leviticus chapter 19, it says, But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And the reason I put that dot, dot, dot is because... uh, it's like I read in Deuteronomy, there's all these passages about not taking advantage of people and about being overly generous. And then it says, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus, he's, he's fulfilling Torah here, right? And it's so easy for us to say the law is gone and we're living in grace. But what we have to realize is the whole purpose of Jesus coming to this earth is so that we could fulfill the law and we could live uh, in God's grace. And what we need to realize is that God's grace starts in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It doesn't start with Jesus. It's been there from the get-go. And this is where I agree with Eric, who's been communicating the last three weeks, is he says, if you don't read the Old Testament, you miss the heart of God. And you do. You miss the heart of God. You miss what he cares about. And really what Jesus is trying to communicate of how do you summarize all of the law is you love God and you love others. And so as we read the scriptures, if you read something and it's out of line with loving God or loving another human being, you're wrong. You're wrong. And then we have to do the hard work of really trying to dig and trying to say, okay, what is God trying to surface here? What is God trying to say? Maybe I'm reading this wrong. Maybe I have the culture wrong. Maybe I have something else wrong. And so we begin to meditate. And it's only then that the law becomes a delight. It's only then that things begin to get illuminated and we begin to say, wow. But see, Moses knew. So right at the end of Deuteronomy, right at the end, like the third or fourth chapter to the end, he says, because he's been traveling uh, with these people for 40 years in the desert. And what he's seen, the pattern that he has seen is uh, God will give him a law and he'll, Moses will give it to the people and they disobey. God gives a law to Moses, he gives it to the people and they disobey, right? And so what, Mo- what Moses says is, he says, what we need is we need a new heart. He calls it a circumcision of the heart that God needs to circumcise our hearts And then the prophets after Moses began to talk about uh, one day, one day it happening where our heart of stone turns into a heart of flesh. One day, one day observing the Torah, observing the law won't just be a duty. It'll just be so ingrained in us. It's just natural. It's what we do. And so when Jesus says he comes to fulfill the law, what we need to realize is he has come to fulfill the law to change our heart, to change our heart where Torah, the law, it's something we do naturally because our heart of stone is turning into a heart of flesh. And we begin to realize that, man, God's grace started in Genesis 1-1. 
And we begin to look at the world that we live in and we say, who are the foreigners? Who are the widows? Who are the orphans in our world? Because when you look at the themes throughout all of Torah, it's about justice. It's about generosity. And how are we living that life? Because we realize we're not always living that life. We realize we don't always love God. We realize we put things ahead of him. We have idols in our life. We realize we put, thing, put things ahead of serving others. We put things ahead of the most vulnerable in our society. And then us here in this room, we begin to realize, wow, I'm a lot like an Israelite. I feel like I'm in that place where what Moses talked about, I need God to give me a new heart. And so finally with Jesus, Jesus comes so that part of what he has done in us is that he shapes our heart and he changes our heart so that we can truly begin to live and obey Torah. That we can actually begin to love those who are most vulnerable in our society. And it's only then we can read Psalm 1 and we can think, man, blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way of that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. See, God made this promise right at the, right at the beginning of Genesis to this man Abraham that your people are going to bless the world, right? That I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the world, And why does Aaron stand up here and say, let's be generous, let's be overly generous? It's because we want to fulfill the law. We want to be partnered with God to say, we want to be a blessing to this world. We want God to bless us, but not so that we can accumulate more, but so that we can bless others. And so I wonder if you here today, if something is triggering, if something is sparking in you, that maybe you've seen... Torah, maybe you've seen law as this constrictive thing. It's just something to set boundaries. It's something just to make you feel bad, or someone has abused it to make you feel bad. But really, the purpose of it is so that you can see the heart of God. And I also wonder if you really, if we begin to like search our hearts and search our souls, we begin to realize we're falling short in so many areas. And I wonder, like, how many of us have the courage to say, Jesus, I need a new heart. Jesus, I want a new heart. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that in this moment, in this quiet, you'll begin to Speak to us. Maybe it's been a long time since we've heard your voice. Maybe we've never felt that little nudge in the back of our minds or the pit of our stomach. God, I pray that today we will hear your voice. Jesus, we thank you that 2,000 years ago, you came. 
to show us what it looks like to walk perfectly with God. And as I say that, Jesus, what I begin to realize and what I pray that all of us realize is all those areas where we're just falling short. All those areas where we realize we are just like an Israelite, where we're just constantly turning away. And I pray that we, in this moment, will just turn our hearts back to you. God, that we will see your law as something that is beautiful, that we will see it as redemptive, and that we will realize that it is your heart for the world. We thank you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.